Some people know him for his live music photography, others for his sports photography, like all those Sports Illustrated covers. And then, of course, there's that one image with over 30 million views. I've got a special guest for you today on Behind the Shot. Hi again, welcome back to Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all the stories and challenges that happen in between, why they make the decisions that they make for any individual shoot. Before we get into our guest today, who is a very, very important special guest for me, this, this one actually means a lot to me, uh, I do need to do a little bit of housekeeping. Since I've left the network that I used to be on and gone out on my own, all the reviews and ratings that you might do in wherever you're getting this podcast, iTunes or Stitcher or I, you know, tune in, wherever you're getting it, all the ratings and reviews really do help with discoverability, so I'd appreciate any of those. Also, I've created my own YouTube channel, so please make sure you go and subscribe to that. That always helps, too. You can always reach out to me through the website, BehindTheShot.tv. And for this episode, there will also be a blog post associated with this episode, as I do for all the episodes, that has more of my guest's images and more information about my guest, which brings us to the man of the hour. Mr. David Bergman, Canon Explorer of Light, welcome to the show. Hey, Steve. It's great to be here with you today. It's really nice to have you on. I, I, I mentioned that this is an important one for me, and there's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, you're my fourth Canon Explorer of Light to have on the show. Uh, Canon Expl explain Canon Explorer of Lights to people who don't understand. Um, you know what? It's a program started by Canon 20 plus years ago, and it's just one of those things where they recognize, you know, photographers who've had an impact in the industry. And it's sort of one of those things you can't really apply for. They pretty much have to come to you. And this is my I think it's my third, third or fourth year now as an explorer. And it really to me when they came to me, it was it was such an honor. It was like a lifetime achievement award for me. And and maybe I'm just getting old, but it uh, yeah. it really felt like that in a way. And there's not many of you. There's only 50 something, I think now. It yeah, used to be I like 45. Under, yeah, I think it's in the in the low 40s, actually. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a small a small group of us. And and I've had Rick Salmon on. I've had Ken Sklude on. I've had Jack Resnicki on. Jack and Ed Greenberg are going to be on again coming up probably, I'm hoping, in October. Uh, we're recording this actually in September. So... Photography-wise, the reason this one meant a lot to me, and we talked in the green, green room a little bit, but your, your style of photography, you're one of those guys who doesn't really specialize in anything and yet manages to somehow be really good at all of them. You're a portrait photographer, and some of your celebrity portraits are, are I mean, really honestly, shockingly good. You're a sports photographer. You've got... Uh, what, 13 Sports Illustrated covers so far. You've done the Olympics, Super Bowls, what else? Uh, NBA championships, World Series, Stanley Cup. The list goes on and on sports-wise, celebrity-wise. And in my world, I'm a live music photographer. You're kind of a legend. You are the tour photographer for Bon Jovi. Uh, who else have you worked with music-wise, by the way? Yeah, I've toured with some other bands. Uh, bon Jovi obviously being the biggest, but uh, Bare Naked Ladies I toured on and off with for many years. Um, I've worked with you know, Gloria Stefan and Avril Lavigne and Sarah McLaughlin and I did the Lilith Fair and, you know, those kinds of things. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty fun gig if you can get it. But you've been with Bon Jovi now since 2010? 10, yeah, it's been eight years now. And it's solid? I mean, every show he does, you're there? Um, you know, the, recently we've been tapering a little bit, but uh, for the most part, uh, from 2010 until maybe last year, I had done every show. It's something like 300 shows by now, I think. 
Okay, so here's here's the I, I mentioned this image in the intro. There's an image of yours that has over 30 million views, and it's an interesting concept. It's something called Gigapan, and it was the first Obama inaugurational speech. And I will have a link for this, by the way, in the blog post. So go to BehindTheShot.tv and find David's episode. And seriously, you got to see this thing. Explain Gigapan and explain how you ended up doing that. So Gigapan itself is a brand name, but uh, basically what it is, it's a gigapixel image. So it's a very high resolution picture. And it's made by, you know how you can already take two overlapping images and stitch them together? Well, the Gigapan hardware is a, is a robotic camera mount you can put your camera into and that will allow you, it sort of um, uh, helps you with the movement of the camera so it's more consistent. And it allows you to actually shoot hundreds or thousands, if you want, of photos and uh, overlapping photos and then stitch those together. So the Obama one, I literally had never used uh, the Gigapan before. It was a brand new system at the time. This was way back in 2009. And I was covering the inauguration and I, I knew I wanted to do something else a little bit different than what everybody else was doing. And I researched as much as I could. And I, I called up the Gigapan people and I said, hey, you know, I've seen this used uh, for landscapes. Has it ever been used where there are people? Because I'm doing the inauguration, there's going to be a lot of people. And they were like, nope, not really. But, you know, we'll send you a loaner if you want to try it out. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? So I took it to the inauguration. And sure enough, um, it was this perfect storm of you know, that event at that time in our lives was sort of the, the one of the biggest events of the, t of the time. And there were 2 million people there and it was new technology and I was the only one to do it. So, uh, yeah, it pretty much went crazy. And basically the net result is it looks like a single picture, but you can zoom in really tight and you can see every face in the crowd. Oh, you can see, I mean, you can read things that are written on people's shirts. Yeah, you can actually read the, you're a music guy, you can actually read the sheet music from the band that's playing right below Obama's Okay, now I got to go back. Yeah, I got to go back. So what's fascinating about that to me is you called them. It wasn't like they came to you. You just went, hey, I'm willing to do this if you happen to have an extra setup. And they went, sure. You know, it's something I've always done. And this was a perfect example of it is, um, and I, I've talked about this a lot, but basically when I'm going to cover something, I need to have a reason to be there, right? There are, I knew there were going to be 500 of the world's best photographers there. And I'm not going to be able to compete with those guys. I'm not a Washington insider. I've never shot an inauguration before. I knew, you know, and even the position I was assigned was on the, the wrong side of the president. I was going to have, you know, the back of his head when he held up his hand to do the, um, the, to do the inaugural. So um, that's the picture everybody says they want. So I had to make something different. And, and I thought about it a lot. And I said, what's the, the next most important thing? The first being, obviously, that it was the first African-American president in this country's history. That was a big story. But the next part of that story is that there were going to be 2 million people there. I mean, that's an insane. I've been to a lot of big events. I've never seen 2 million people in yeah, one. Yeah, it kind of blows a place. concert out of the water. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's amazing. So I wanted to document that in, that, that in some way. So I, I researched different like 180 degree lenses and all kinds of weird moving lenses and things like that. And I, I came across this new small company called Gigapan and and I called them up and they, they were nice enough and, and maybe they had the foresight to send me a loaner unit. And, uh, and it, I guess it worked out pretty well. See, but kind of, I mean, isn't that really kind of how some of the greatest photographs, I mean, okay, some of them people stumble on, but a lot of the greatest photographs, these aren't accidents that somebody grabbed a camera and did something, right? It required research and planning and not only that, but inserting yourself with your own, you know, kind of, uh, 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 intent 
into yeah. the situation that's going to get you the shot that'll make you stand out. That's really what it is. I do that a lot. I insert myself. That's a good way to put it. Uh, I mean, I've, I've worked with, even with bands that I've worked with for years. So like Bon Jovi, for example, um, John was, he injured himself at a concert and uh, it wasn't a, anything that he did at that concert, but he tore the meniscus in his knee tour during a show. And over the next few weeks, he was rehabbing it. And, you know, by this time we had a bit of a relationship. It was, we were about a year into, into my tenure and uh, he was talking about having surgery. And so one night I was, you know, we were at dinner and I was sitting across from him and I said, I looked at him and I kind of smiled. I said, John, you know, I have to be in the operating room when you have surgery, you know, right? Oh, no, I mean, this you is did not. not. This is not something he would have thought of and said, Dave, I really want you in the operating Nobody would do that. But, you know, I, I've been known to be, I'm going to call it persistent. <laughs> um, other people might call it being a pain in the butt. But, uh, you know, I, when I know there's something I want, I'm going to push for it. So, so I brought that up and he basically, you know, kind of smirked and said, you know, if it's okay with the hospital, then it's okay with me. So of course, then we called the hospital and said, Mr. Bon Jovi would like his photographer in the operating room. And they said, of course, no problem. They That's did? Of course they did. They, they're not going to say no to John Bon Jovi. Right. So, wow. um, yeah. So sure enough, when he was actually under anesthesia in the operating room, I was in the room with the doctors taking pictures so oh i would um, that that's amazing yeah. is that related to that one image where he's sitting on the table with the bandages on his knee it is that was well that was the night that he that he was injured and even that was sort of the first time i had dealt with a real uh, a real moment of something happening you know i mean there's the concert and there's the fun stuff and then this was possibly really serious i mean we didn't know if it was going to be the end of his career how bad it was and you know, the rest of the band all went back to the hotel, you know, management sent everybody back. They put them in the cars and set them back. And John stayed there with his um, doctor. And we had, you know, they sent you go home, you go home. And they looked at me, and they said, you stay, you know, everybody else go, go, go. And I was like, okay. So I just stayed in the room was as quiet as I could. And I just documented everything. It was really somber and quiet. And, you know, it was a, it was a big deal at that moment. And so, um, but again, that was over time of developing that relationship where, you know, John Bon Jovi, luckily, is the kind of guy who gets it. And he understands the value in documenting this. He knows he has a crazy life that most right. people can only, right. you know, dream of. And so to document that and, and even the pictures, he, he, when he was in the hospital, one of the nurses asked, what are you going to do with all these pictures? And he said, ah, they'll do a book after I'm dead. You know, he, he really never thought they would be published. But he was smart enough to know you just shoot them. And then he told me later, he said, when we actually did a photo book, a coffee table book, and I convinced him to let us use those pictures. When he came around, he said, you know what, if it inspires one kid to work through the pain and, you know, by seeing me do it and then come out the other end stronger and better for it, then it's worth it. That's so a, yeah, that's somebody who gets it. So, he gets it. You know? That's so a dream client. Your work, you've been published in Name Magazine here, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Rolling Stone, yeah. Time, Newsweek, yeah. USA Today, People. I'm reading off a list here because I wrote them all down. There's too many. Kerrang, People, New York Times. Um, but one of the things, there's two things that you do I'm fascinated with. And to the viewers, I promise, we are going to get to the shot. And it's it's <laughs> really kind of a cool, unique shot that we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> but you've just got such a wealth of, of history and information. I really want to get into that. You do a show for Adorama TV, Adorama store camera store a lot of people buy through in, in new york uh adamarama in fact my 5d mark four i bought through adamarama um Excellent. you do a show called two minute tips with david bergman now if people have not seen this show it's two minute tips but it's not like fluff 
right? I don't know where you get your ideas for this, but magically every episode is like, really? It Every episode has a moment in it of, how is it possible there's that many two minute tips I don't know and I do photography? Yeah, it's been really fun doing this show. I just started it, uh, gosh, it's been about two and a half years now, but there's one every week. So yeah, it's been 130, 100, I think we just shot number 140 or something like that. So um, yeah, I mean, I guess when I started, I thought oh, I'll do this for a year or so. It'll be a fun thing to do. And I'm still going. And yeah, sometimes I have to really sit down and, and, and rack my brain a little bit. But you know what? Photography is one of those things where we're always learning. All of us are always right. learning. I mean, I, I, I watch videos. I learn new things all the time as well. So um, what I want that show to be, and I think I'm successful some of the time, is just those little tips that help out, right? Like one of my favorite things is like, you know, when you take your lens cap off and you take the, the, the body cap and the back cap on the lens and you screw them together and they fit perfectly together. And then you can throw them in your bag. So you don't get dust in your sensor when you put them back on, right? right? If you throw a loose cap. So those kinds of little things that maybe even somebody who's been shooting for a while, just never thought of. And actually one of my greatest moments was I did this live at uh, photo plus expo. I think it was last year. And I did this live two minute tips. I did top 20 two minute tips live on stage, which was a bit crazy. I had 40 minutes to do 20 two minute tips. And, um, uh, when I talked about that one about the cap, a guy in the third row, I'm looking straight at him and he, and, and I did that and he goes like this, he goes, oh. <laughs> I was like, that's the reaction I wanted. Like somebody to just go, why didn't I think well, of that? That makes sense. It's that thing where, you know, you only, you only know to teach yourself what you need at the moment. Right. right. And there's a right. ton of things that you don't come across yet. And why wait to learn them until you realize, oops, I had a gunk inside the lid and put it over my sensor. Um, yeah. Let's talk real quick about your. Long, I guess I've been doing this long enough that you come across a lot of those over the years. Exactly. So you, yeah. you are affiliated with a lot of people, Apple, Canon, Best Buy, Columbia University. You've spoken for all of them. You're a Canon Explorer of Light, we mentioned, Red River Pro. Uh, Adorama Pix Ambassador makes sense. Think Tank Photo Design Board, thank you. Nothing but that. Think Tank sitting here to my right. Um, I, I wear a belt. I yeah, long story. Uh, charter right. member of the Apple Aperture Advisory Board. So I have to bring up before we bring up the shot. Then we'll get into it. I listened to you on another friend of mine does a, a music photography specific podcast called How to Become a Rockstar Photographer, Matthias Hombauer out of Austria. Uh, great guy, good music photographer too. Yeah, but on guy. his show, you mentioned, which was a program I loved, but I did move. You still use Aperture? So uh, up until literally about a month ago, I was still using Aperture exclusively. It still works, right? I'm works using fine. whatever I Sierra. I love that program, not just because I was involved in it in the early stages, but... I just found it to be other than the camera manufacturers softwares, which, which literally is the best raw conversion, not always the greatest user interface, but the greatest raw conversions because it's made by the camera manufacturers. Other than that, I find it to be the best raw converter, the best uh, program for it's got everything I need in it. I've used it for years. I love it. Yes. I, I was kind of holding on till you know, they pried out of my cold dead hands. However, uh -oh. I do. I mean, I know the writing is on the wall, so I, I kind of felt like it was time to start moving away from the mothership. And uh, I've been using Capture One for the last month or so, Phase One's program. Um, I like it. It's, it's, you know, I'm still learning it. I'm not as fast with it as I am with Aperture. 
Um, I'm trying not to, you know, use the crutch of going back into aperture when I get frustrated. So I'm forcing myself to use it. Um, and I really like it. I mean, it's, it's as close to aperture as I've seen. Um, honestly, I'm not a big Lightroom fan. I mean, I, of course I have Photoshop. I use Photoshop, you know, for whenever I need to, but the more I can do in my raw conversion software, the better. And so, um, uh, yeah, so I, I am I am still holding on. You're, hope you're echoing what so many, like I use Lightroom. When I move from Aperture, I move to Lightroom. And I'm, I'm what I call a reluctant Lightroom user to the many point where are. I have gone, I use uh, Photo Mechanic for culling because it's so freaking quick. Yes, and, I do. And that. if I could do it all in Photo Mechanic to the level that I really want, I would because so, so, uh, really- I use Photo Mechanic when I was a newspaper photographer in the early nineties, like version one or whatever that was. So I, I even using capture one aperture, whatever it is, the only files I'm bringing into those programs are my final edits, the final images that I have to tone. I don't bring thousands of photos in there. I'll bring 30 or 40 in and that's and it. You and you call that's, in photo mechanic, you said in photo mechanic, all photo mechanic. Yeah, yeah. I probably spend more time in photo mechanic than I do in any other program. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a couple of friends of mine have moved to Capture One and keep saying, you need to try it. You need to try it. Well, I'm so frustrated with Lightroom right now that it it could happen anytime. So to the viewers, now, love, thank I, you. Just let, me, just let me get this out there. I mean, I, I do love Adobe. Adobe as a company, they make some great stuff. And Photoshop, obviously, is the industry standard. I use it. Lightroom, you know, I've never had to use it full time. But, you know, everybody I know who uses it just isn't happy. I, hopefully they'll redesign it one day and it'll move faster. And, and, That's my yeah. hope. Cause you brought up a good point. Photoshop's a great program. Still premiere. Yeah. Great program. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. I love camera raw camera raw as an interface right. is fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just the wrapper is really what's yeah. wrong for me. Um, yeah. So to the viewers again, thank you, but I'm, I'm, I'm geeking out here. Uh, let's get into this okay. image because this image, when I, when I was going to have you on, my original thought was, it's David Bergman. I, I need to do, I'm a music photographer. I need to do a Bon Jovi shot. But then I thought, you know, no, that's predictable. Let's go some other way. And this particular image that we're going to bring up, um, to me, really kind of accentuates a mixture of everything. It's got a rock star type feel to it. It's a portrait. It's a, it's a commercial shot. But it's all the things that make kind of kind of photography cool you know what i mean so this image which is uh, a girl in a for those that are listening we have an audio feed and a video feed listening on on audio it's it's a girl laying on her back in a swimming pool with her hands behind her head looking straight at the camera uh her bathing suit is an american flag there's an american flag reflecting in her goggles and there's so much about this shot that i love it, this was not one of your olympic shots right this is an ad campaign shot Nope. This was, uh, this was actually the release of the Canon Pro 1000 printer. And they had actually a really cool event. They brought in myself, uh, Joel Grimes, and Lindsay Adler in New York City to a studio space. But it wasn't even a studio space. It was like a big warehouse. And they gave us each like a subdivided section. And we basically created pictures for two days. We had 10 different shoots to do. And then the end of the second day, they had a public event where people came in they got to watch us shoot. They got to shoot some stuff themselves and they were making prints with the new printer and then hanging them up like an art gallery. So we had, so it was cool because each of us, obviously we have our own unique style. So Lindsay did her thing that she's known for. Joel did his look and I did all athletes. So I had, we had casted a bunch of athletes and I did a basketball player and I did a, a football player and, and this was the swimmer. So you the, did the this at a live event. 
this was at a live event. Uh, that particular shoot was not during the during the, the public event, but uh, but this was all done. We literally had two days to do ten unique commercial portraits, and it was it was a bit of uh, a bit grueling. So they had to they had to yell at us to keep on schedule as we were going along. So let let's for the for the tech geeks out there. Because there's always somebody that wants to know EXIF data, even though they can't literally replicate it. It's a starting point for them, right? It's it's a way for them to kind of reverse engineer, how did he do this? Um, manual exposure, uh, 1 one twenty fifth of a second, F5.6, ISO 125 at 140 millimeter. And the 140 millimeter, when I saw that, made me go, huh? Because you're shooting, it looks like straight, she's in water, she's not standing up, right? Unless you could get water to stick against a wall. She's laying down. You're over her somehow far enough away to shoot at 140 millimeters? Yeah. So the way we did this was, first of all, the funniest part of this was, again, I show up and they think, you know, all the, we had stylists and art directors and casting people and, and and everybody's pretty simple for the most part. And I come in and I go... All right. Well, I've got a swimmer, so we got to get some water in here. <laughs> oh, you and had not were, planned that in advance. This was not planned. No, this was maybe you know the first morning when I sort of looked through everything and said, you know, because I mean, I was going to do maybe a portrait up against a wall or something else like that, and I said, you know what, I got to have water. So I sent out one of the prop people to buy a kiddie pool, one of those little blow up kiddie pools, and we're in a space that you know we don't really want to get water everywhere. And so, um, <laughs> so we brought, they actually brought in a blow up kiddie pool and we filled it with water. We had to like bring buckets of water from the sink to fill up this thing as best we could. This was like, I mean, if you saw the, how we made this happen, you would say, this guy has no idea what he's doing, but all that matters, I guess, is the picture at the end of the day. So, um, and then, yeah, to, I knew I wanted to shoot down. So to get up over her, I got the tallest ladder we had, which was like a 12 foot, it was a very, very high ladder. Um, and we had lots of sandbags and lots of people holding down the base of it. And then I literally was at the very top of that thing. Even though it says, this is not a step. That's the one. That's the one I was on. Yes. Do not step here or you will die. That's the one. Um, and yeah, I was at the very, very top of that ladder looking as straight down as I could possibly, uh, do it from that angle. So, uh, this was shot with a Canon 5DSR. Yep. So high resolution. With a yep. 70 to 200 2.8 Mark II, which is, in Correct. my opinion, I still use yeah. a Mark I. I think the Mark II, though, is one of the sharpest lenses on the planet. Yeah. Um, and this, again, as you said, this was for the Image ProGraph Pro 1000 ad campaign. Yep. One of the questions I had, actually, was, was this your original concept? And clearly not. But since you're shooting <laughs> this at a Canon thing before the public event, but it's going to be used as an ad campaign, this is where it gets interesting to me not doing commercial photography myself. Is there is there an art director from Canon standing there going, no, I don't want that, giving input at all? Or is it literally, David, do what you want, run with it? Yeah, it was the latter. I mean, that the reason they brought in Lindsay, Joel, and me was because they wanted us to do our thing. So, I mean, we had had some conversations ahead of time. Obviously, these things don't just come together last second. So we had had many conversations on the phone and over email. And so, you know, just deciding what sports we want, I wanted to do and, you know, cause they had to cast models and, and all of that. And they would send me, sending me pictures of the models and to make decisions on casting. And, um, so there were discussions ahead of time, but when I got there, it really was up to me. And actually funny aside is one of the other ones I wanted to do as a golfer. 
And again, you know, originally I thought, oh, I'll just have her, you know, sort of hold the club over her, you know, shoulders like a baseball bat or something. And we'll just do something fun. And then I got there. I said, I got to make this better than that. It's that's too boring. So I said, let's have her like hitting out of a sand trap with dirt flying. <laughs> and they, this was, they couldn't believe it. And, and I just, you know, again, like we were talking before, I just pushed and I pushed, you know, they, they, there was resistance at first. We're indoors. We're in a space. There are other photographers shooting. There's, there are printers all over that they're setting up. And these are, they hadn't been released yet. These are brand new Pro 1000 printers. And I said, let's bring some dirt in. So we sort of built this turf and had a little pile of dirt that we put behind her. And then this, this poor girl, very sweet golfer, and she really does play golf, had to swing into this, you know, unnaturally hard dirt and i wanted it flying up and i had to get the ball popping out i mean when you're shooting go actual real golf and somebody's hitting out of a trap that's what you want you want the sand flying and the ball right, right there so so she would hit this thing and the dirt would go flying everywhere and canon didn't want to tell me what was happening but later they did come to me and say um so one of the printers you kind of destroyed it because dirt got in there and so we had to uh we had to retire that one so sorry canon but one of their printers uh got killed by see but this dirt. is so, what we talked about you 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 know at the be beginning it is all about the shot right and it and it's about having the vision i think what a lot of times happens is People want to know how great photographers get their vision, how they see the things that they see. And I think in some ways, the amateurs, for example, or, or whatever you want to call that, that class that's not making money at it, um, they may have the vision. They just don't have the confidence to go out and say, no, I want to do this. And so that's a key distinction here is you've got to, you've got, if you have the vision, you got to say it. And you may try it and it may fail. But that's okay if you tried it. But you did you did some other interesting things on this. So 5.6, 125th of a second, 140 millimeters. I get the 140 millimeters now, and it helped blur the back of that pool. Uh, but 5.6, you wanted enough of her, I'm guessing. You didn't just want eyes and nose blurry. You wanted enough of the, the depth of the face. Yeah, I think 2.8 would have been too risky considering I was sort of hovering over her on a ladder that probably wasn't very stable. And, you know, I, I had some concerns there about making sure because I don't want to have the perfect shot and then, you know, she's back focused on her ear or something. Right, so, right, right. Um, enough depth so that I don't have to worry about it too much. So one of the things I said, because this is a commercial shot, I don't know. Did they tell you that they're going to use this a certain way with text? Because one of the things I said to you in the green room, I noticed something. I may have said it after the green room. I even forget now. Um, there was something, though, that struck me about a lot of your work. You do a lot of tight crops in your work. And the crop on this, to me, is really a huge part of what makes this image, right? The fact that the, tip, the tips of her elbows are cropped off, the top of her head is cropped off, where she's, where she's cropped on the chest that that makes that window for me to look through. You do that a lot. Is that conscious or is it just kind of what you see in your head? I mean, cropping in general is very conscious with me. Sometimes it's in post, sometimes it's during the shoot. Um, but I am really aware of the crop. I'll spend, you know, minutes and, you know, just going like this, like this, like this, like this, you know, an inch this way, an inch that way. Yeah, totally. And it, and it makes a difference, right? If you really take the time to look at it, I think, oh, a half an inch isn't going to make a difference, but it does where, where it moves your eye 
really makes a difference. Um, I think cropping in general probably comes from my days as a newspaper photographer in the nineties. I worked at the Miami Herald and for the most part, you know, you've got a two column hole or a three column hole in the paper. You're not doing these grand designs like a sports illustrated opening spread. If this is just like the play of the game and it's the guy catching the ball and it just grabs your attention really quick. And then the headline over it doesn't, you know, it doesn't run through the image. It's above the image. So actually when I did start working for sports illustrated, there was an adjustment period there. And I remember the, the former director of photography, Steve Fine, telling me, like, you got to loosen up a little bit because they did often run type over the text. So, um, uh, you know, in that case, I had to shoot these more sort of grand tableau type photos that they like as the openers with the whole stadium and the whole thing. But when I'm, you know, given my own, left to my own devices, I think, and in this case, also, the eyes were really important because I knew we were going to do that reflection. So uh, I think if you're too loose, then you don't, you don't go right to that reflection because that's really was the most important part of that. Photo well, and there's me. another so, thing actually about this that's common to your shots. Um, a lot of your shots have symmetry to them, right? You're, mm -hmm. you don't, you're one of the few live music photographers and, and I find myself try to do it and it comes out looking like I don't understand composition. I go, I tend to go rule of thirds. You're one of the few live music photographers, for example, that has the ability to, to uh, center a subject in a frame and just have the symmetry of it work. And a lot of your work is that way. I've, I've got a, an image in here queued up. I'm just gonna bring up, even though it's not it, the one of, of Bon Jovi walking down the stairs. Um, that's a great example of, of symmetry. The Steven Tyler shot of Steven Tyler at, at the table is another one where his head is, is centered. He's coming offside. The Drew Carey one with Drew Carey in the middle at a craps table, which I think is at Luxor, I think I saw in the, in, in the title is. of that show. Um, yeah. You know, I just pulled up the Torino shot of the bobsled, which is, oh, I love the color of that image. And then the runner over the New York City skyline, dead centered. You seem to do that an awful lot and it really works for you. When, when you are doing a shot like the one we're talking about today and you're thinking of your composition, you said that you knew that you were gonna do the reflection. Was that reflection live or in post? Oh yeah, that is all live. How Actually, did you do that's that? That's what took us the long. Yeah, after we figured out sort of the height and the ladder and all that, or the pool, all that stuff, then it was all about the reflection. And I remember, again, like even my own assistants, I had a couple of assistants with me, were kind of fighting me out. Oh, because the trick with that is you have to get that flag. We had a real flag that we were holding, that they were holding, and you have to get it in really close. And it's, it's a balancing act of close enough so that it fills her goggles. Cause if it's too far away, it'll just be like a strip or it won't really fill the goggles. Right. Um, but obviously if it's too close, it's going to block the frame. So the hardest part of that was getting the, just the right angle. And it's frustrating when you're doing it. But again, it's one of those things, like you said before, you gotta just keep calm, keep pushing to make sure that you get it the way you want it. And I, and I was like, you know, let's just keep doing it. How we close get it. is it? I mean, it's probably a foot or two. I mean, it's really? it's really close. Yeah, it has to be that close. Those goggles are like wide angle lenses. So you can see a huge amount of the, the you know, the frame in those goggles. So Did because you the way know as you were doing it, because here's what makes it work. 
the stars are on the left and the stripes are on the right. And again, for those listening on audio, her eye is visible through the red stripe. My yeah, God, that man. I, <laughs> that part, I don't know that I knew. Maybe we, maybe that's the frame I, you know, I picked out of them, but, uh, but having the flag facing the right direction. And that was, that was conscious. I mean, that's, that's just a matter of sticking with it till you get it where you want it to go. I, I knew I wanted that reflection in there. So again, we, when I sent them out to get a kiddie pool, I sent them out, you know, to get a flag as well. So, um, the biggest one we could find, it probably wasn't more than four or five feet. I don't think it was a massive flag. So unless you have a huge flag like that, you really have to get it in close. So I, I'm sure it's immediately outside of the frame. It's, it's, that may be another reason I was shooting so tight because you zoom out at all and you'd see the flag there. Oh, so, good point. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's probably was, that probably was part of that, but now, I, I would, I'd like to think I would have shot it that I way. I just anyway. thought of this and this one isn't in my notes, but I just thought about it. She, she, her look, it's a straight face, but there's a little bit almost of a smile or a smirk, but not. Did you, did you, do you coach your models like this? Or when you're doing a Steven Tyler, do you coach them? What, what would you might maybe might have told this young lady? Yeah, it depends who it is, obviously. I mean, Steven Tyler, that night that I did the Steven Tyler picture, I was photographing, I had a portrait booth set up backstage at the, it was a Hurricane Sandy telethon at NBC. And I was backstage. And so every one of the artists that I could basically convince to come back and shoot, I did. So Billy Joel and Whoopi Goldberg and Jon Stewart and some just really amazing people. And most of the time, what I do is uh, I had like a minute to walk down the hallway with them till we got to the to my little booth that I had set up. And I would talk to them, you know, and just be human. And, you know, that was my time to really get them up because I knew once I got them there, I'd only have a minute or so, if even that. So I didn't want to hold them there for very long. So that's a, that's kind of a different situation. Steven Tyler was the exception because he is insanely fun and cool. And he basically every frame just went nuts for me. So that was probably the easiest one of the batch. I didn't have to pull anything out of him. He just, he's kind of a natural ham and he enjoys it and he gets it. So, um, so that was really fun. This girl, uh, the swimmer, I do remember that water was pretty cold. <laughs> so uh, I was feeling a little guilty, but, you know, I apologized. I warned her as best I could to so just hang in there with me. It's going to be worth it, you know? And so I think I was probably, usually I'll just crack jokes and I'll just keep talking. So I'm sure I was laughing about the cold. I'm sure I was, you know, telling her she was going to have pneumonia for a week afterward or whatever it was to keep her from thinking about how cold she really was. It's, it's um, more making them realistically comfortable, not fake comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah so, I'm not going to blow smoke. Do you shoot a shot like this tethered? Uh, this one was, I normally don't shoot tethered. I don't like to be tethered. Um, in this case, uh, we were tethered because this was this big commercial shoot and we were actually making little work prints as we went along. And so, um, I had a digital tech there. And so this one was tethered. I normally don't like to shoot tethered. I'll do it in a workshop environment. I'll do it, you know, when it's necessary, but I, I like freedom to be able to move around. I don't shoot on a tripod very often unless I'm doing a long exposure like that. I like to be able to move around again. Maybe that's my old photojournalism days that right. I just, I don't like to be pulled down uh, in any way. And so, a tether to me feels like I'm stuck. So on this image, there, there's a couple of final questions I've got post-wise, right? First of all, there's a fashion feel to this. I'm curious what your normal workflow is from, you know, ingesting. I know now that you use photo mechanic for culling and on this image, probably it was aperture since you just recently changed. But 
Uh-huh. Forgetting the specifics so much, do you do on a shot like this, do you go in like a fashion photographer and, and do some skin patching and smoothing? And and what's your workflow? So you come in, let's say, with you know 800 images from a show, 4,000 images from a show. Do you, are you using star ratings to cull it down? How long does that take you to cull down to your pics? How long do you spend yeah. editing an image? So there's a few questions in there, but I but obviously it depends on the shoot. So I'll give you the extreme example is a concert, right? I'm I'm a pretty heavy shooter. I shoot concerts like I shoot sports, where I lay on the motor drive. I shoot a lot of frames. You know, when the artist runs across the stage, I shoot a burst at you know however many frames a second I can get. So. Um, so I may have, and I set up remote cameras. I do all kinds of things. I have a lot of frames. The end of a typical Bon, jo- bon Jovi show, I might have three or 4,000 images from handheld cameras and then another 2,000 from a remote. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's it, the, the toughest part of that job is the stuff people don't see. And that's, I'm basically shooting until the artist goes to bed, right? So, you know, after the show, maybe there's a dinner afterward. And then, you know, everybody stays up and talks for a bit. And then at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., they go to bed. Then I start editing. <laughs> so, cause I can't do it until that point. Cause I'm, I'm shooting the whole time. So I might have, you know, five, 6,000 images and I will photo mechanic. I'll go through those. What I do is I do multiple passes. It's kind of like, um, are you using like star water, ratings or colors? Uh, so I actually don't use either. I actually use, uh, when I'm doing my initial culling, I use the tag key and photo mechanic. Okay. So I have one finger on the T and the other two fingers on the arrows. And I will go through and, and arrow through as fast as I can. If I see my first pass, it's like water filtration. It's like multiple passes. And each time, each time the pool gets a little bit smaller. So um, I'll go through those 6,000 images and maybe my first pass, I'll get it down to about 800 tagged images. Then I will take those 800 tags in a new folder. Cause I want to have the original untouched take someplace. So that's always going to be there. Now I have my first edit as I call it. Um, of 800 images, then I will go through those again. And those I can usually get down to under a hundred, right? Maybe I get it down to 80 or six, whatever. And then those go into my raw finals folder, right? So, and then those are the image I'll, I'll, images I'll bring into my raw converter aperture for many years and now capture one. So those are the only files that'll go in there. Now, when I, so I'm only using the tag key. Like I said, when I go into the raw first edit, I'll then tag all those and start over again. So then I can just tag as I go. Um, the advantage of that, I think, is that I will always have access to that raw finals and raw first edit. When I go back, if I, you know, get this happens all the time, an artist might say, oh, we need a picture for this ad or whatever from that particular show or whatever it is. I don't want to go through the whole editing. Game. Right. So I can just go to my raw finals. Or if I have to expand that, I can go to my first edit and see a bigger take. And I know all of those pictures are decent, but they're not the whole entire take, which I still always keep. So anyway, then I'll bring those in. Then I do use the star ratings inside Aperture and now capture one. So, so I'll go through and I'll do like something that is just an email photo of, you know, somebody backstage with a friend or something that's a one star. And then like a regular concert photo will be a two star, a really great concert photo will be a three and, you know, and I'll have the occasional four. I don't give out five stars. It's like above and beyond right, anything, right. you know, I do. so, so then I will have that star rating within the uh, raw converter program. So I can obviously always access that as well. So, with so that's, that's for a concert, right? That's a lot different than... Yeah, but it kind of gives people your workflow, though. 
London frames, right? I mean, it's the same with a shoot like this with the swimmer. You know, I probably shot a couple hundred frames. It's a bit easier of an edit. Obviously, I don't have maybe I don't have to do a raw first edit. Maybe I can just go through and pick, you know, the five or ten best images and then pull the one that I think is going to be the shot. Um, this was a bit unique because we were actually doing it live. So we had to produce that file on site so that they could start printing it to hang up in the gallery. Wow. Now the version you're looking at, the version you're looking at, I went back and I redid it myself. I took my time on my calibrated monitor and I was able to really work on it a little more closely. As far as retouching and things, I, you know, an image like this maybe a little bit more retouching than a typical image, a concert photo, I don't do any retouching. There's there's none necessary and it's just it's just not something that's appropriate in that kind of, you know, a, a journalistic photo or a concert or a sports photo. There's really no skin retouching or anything like that. Right. Um, a picture like this, maybe here and there, um, you know, I'm not, it's not something I do very often. Actually, this picture, it always kind of bothered me a little bit because we had a, um, a swim cap on her for a while and then she took it off at the end and you can actually see the lines in her forehead from that skin cap. If we had had more time, yeah, look closely. You can see them there. Little bit more time um, to have that sort of worn wear off of her, I would have been a little happier. I probably could have retouched that, but I just thought it was it's part of what what was there. See, so to I, me, I, I th this image that that image is everything I would want out of an image, right? It's got all it's got all those little details, like we talked about when we talked about the two minute tips. It's got all the little the little details here and there that elevate it to that next level. You've got so much experience with the two minute tips. I'm curious if you were to give to an aspiring photographer of any genre, right? Photojournalism, portraiture, whatever. What's your number one photo tip? You got a catalog oh to pull from. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. That's like picking from your children. Um, you know what? This is going to sound weird, but, but uh, honestly, if I was just getting into this business, Look, you're always going to be, as we said before, you're always going to be improving as a photographer. You're always going to learn new techniques. You're always going to, there's plenty of YouTube videos out there. There's all kinds of things you can learn. Honestly, if you want to make a living in this business, then you need to know how to run a business. I, I wish I had taken more business classes when I was just starting out. I mean, I've had to learn it as I go and it's been a struggle at times, but you know, I, I've gotten better at it, but, but I think it's easier to be a great business person and an average photographer than a great photographer and a bad business person. Right. So, you know, look, this, these, these Canon campaign that doesn't come unless I know how to do business with them. Right. So, um, doesn't matter how good a photographer you are. If you don't know how to, if you can't afford to go out and take pictures, then you're never going to make a living. Now, of course, I'm talking about people who actually want to make a living just as a, you know, amateur photographer, if it's a hobby or something, then that's great. Don't worry about it. But, but, you know, it's tough to make a living as a photographer, as, as you know. Yeah. So being able to run a business and really treat it like a business and knowing what it costs you to walk out of the house and be able to turn down jobs because they just don't pay enough or, you know, it's, they want it for free is, I think, the most important thing you can do as an aspiring professional photographer. Good tip. So to the viewers, <clears throat> there will be a blog post associated with this episode. And in it, I will have links to David's Adorama TV show, the, the two-minute uh, tips with David Bergman. And then I'll also have links to something else. You do live music photography workshops. I wish. I actually looked them up a while ago. Um, 
I, I, uh, I can only imagine. Uh, if you're interested in live music photography, this is the guy probably that you want to learn from. So I will have links to that. I will also have links to to all of your website and social media stuff. What's your website so that everybody knows if you want to give it out and spell it for them? Sure, yeah, my, my primary website is just my name, davidbergman.net. So unfortunately, I'm a .net. The David Bergman who has the .com is a realtor in San Francisco, and we, we email each other every once in a while. But, uh, but I'm a davidbergman.net, and I'm pretty easy to find. If you Google me, I show up on- Yeah, you show, you show up really quick. On Facebook, it's David Bergman Photo. David Bergman Photo on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram David are the same. Yep, just David Bergman just on Just David Twitter Bergman. And, and then yep. I'm going to throw up on screen over you right now. If people are interested, there's the link for workshops, which is shootfromthepit.com. And also the yep. two-minute tips one as well. I can't say thank you enough. This has been an absolute joy. I'm so glad you came by. And, and I'm hoping that someday, because I do live music photography, I kind of almost try to avoid it on the show doing it too often because I don't want people to think I'm going, you know, oh, it's a live music photography podcast. It's really general photography. But I would love to have you on to talk about one of your your Bon Jovi shots at some point in time. I would, I would love to do it. I mean, Steve, you've got one of the best radio voices I've ever heard. So I could just listen, listen to you talk all day long. Thank so you very much. 40 awesome. years. In, in fact, uh, the radio station I'm at right now, 31 years next month. Uh, I've I been on radio it. for 40 I years. It. I love it. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Yeah, uh, man. So to everybody, again, make sure that you check out David Bergman. All the website stuff will be on the all his website and social media contacts. Give him some love. Follow him. Uh, check out his workshops. And, and I can't stress it enough. Seriously, the two-minute tips on Adorama TV, really, really go back in the back catalog. Don't just watch the new ones. Go back and watch them. Again, I'm Steve Brazel, your host. You can find me at my normal website, which is uh, uh, stevebrazel.com. You can find me at... I think I've got the right one up here. Yeah, stevebrazel.com and behindtheshot.tv. You can find me on Facebook. It's Steve Brazel Photography. And then same as David, Instagram and Twitter are the same. It's just Steve Brazel. Again, thank you for watching. Make sure that you subscribe. If you are going to subscribe to Behind the Shot and you search for it in your podcast catching app, be sure to grab the new feeds. There's both an audio and video and it mentions my name. The old network feed is in there, but it won't get any new shows. So make sure you grab the right one. Other than that, thanks again for watching. This is Behind the Shot. We'll see you next time.